to the Legal Weekly Wine, where we discuss the U.S.'s hottest legal topics every week. And today, we are going to be talking about Brian Koberger and the Idaho College quadruple murder. Yes. We are finally talking about it. Um, it's taken us a while, but we've decided now is the, now is the time. This is the week. We are going to hit several topics with it. We're not going to go through a full case analysis, but because we're talking about the legal issues, we are going to talk about the probable cause warrants that have come out, the preliminary hearing, which has been a little bit of an odd odd piece in the legal world, some media coverage, as well as possible jury selection for later. Yes. I think that's it, right? I, I think so. We're yeah. going to try to keep it contained. This is one where, kind of like Gabby Petito, where we may have several yeah. episodes, but we want to start talking now that it's more of a legal piece versus just um, the crime piece, which is legal, but... Anyway, the the legal wranglings, the legal maneuvering, the legal plays, it's time for us to talk about it and see what happens next. We will absolutely pick it back up for preliminary hearing, but God, it looks like that's going to be in June. Shockingly. Yeah. So anyway, we are the Legal Weekly Wine. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we are part of Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Till you do. And we have shirts. Twinsies. Um, <laughs> I don't know how much you can see with with my glasses or my glass. Like, let me just. <laughs> Chelsea's really showing off, but we finally have shirts, our um, branded shirts with our purple colors. So we're a little purple on purple. Um, matchy, 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 matchy. We're going to see how it goes, but it is happy hour. Um, and we are going to enjoy happy hour in our shirts because they're actually super comfortable. I know. I really look. I'm very particular about my t-shirt selection, um, but these have uh, fit my qualifications. I like it's like a heathered purple situation. Yeah. The writing is really cute and it's not scratchy. Right. And the shirt overall is very very soft. It's ten almost, out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yes. WhatsApp Promotions did the shirts for us. Um, my friend Sean Stanfield. But honestly, they they're almost more like sleep shirts. Oh, yeah. They're pretty enough and nice enough to wear on camera, which we love, but I could honestly just sleep in it. This is like the, yeah, it is like a very soft, it's very like, soft. I love it. Anyway, we're going to see how it goes. We're very excited. Maybe get some more and we're going to drink for happy hour. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Grab a glass of, of the wine that you like. Maybe one of the one that we're drinking, but if not, grab one that you like. If you don't like wine, grab a beer, but it's happy hour. Let's enjoy it. We are doing another Moscato. We have a theme and a trend Do on we? our show. Yeah. What is our what is our theme? Um, sweet wines. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> I, I think that is our, our trend. Um, we do seem to have sweeter... The, we've talked about this before. Is I the, know. The sweet, I think it's just... Sweet tea. It's like... Because it's like a little treat, right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. At the end of the week, it is more like a little treat. Um, but yeah, we are tending... Toward these sweeter wines. Next week, we're going to try not to. Okay. Um, but this is a Moscato. It's a Moscato Diosti. Um, a Bartonura. I can say the bottle's super pretty. I don't know if it's it, like, gorgeous. the color is picking up on the camera, yeah, but it's really pretty blue. Yeah, maybe not purple, but it is. It's a gorgeous blue. Um, it's even got the, the map of Italy on it. Um, this is a 2021. It is an Italian wine. Um, my, my husband and I drink a lot of Moscatos, clearly. Um, so we're sharing our stash, so to speak. Um, and I, you can see the wines on our, our walls. We're starting to go through those. Um, yeah. But we have selected them. And they tend to be these Moscatos. Um, Look, no complaints over here. <laughs> Maybe no 
Fridays next week. Last week we did a red. It was a port, right? Um, it was like a port, mm, but it wasn't actually was it? a port. It's in no, it was a Bordeaux. It was the Bordeaux. That's the one we did last week. Um, but what I think my favorite, I have two favorites. <laughs> okay. of all the ones that we've done. Um my absolute favorite was the cherry wine. Oh, I was going to say that was mine. <laughs> it was so good. We were a little <laughs> tore up from the floor up on that one. <laughs> we were, y'all. Um, so, yeah, that was it. But, man, the alcohol content was high. I don't think we realized it. We didn't. We looked at the bottle, but we didn't look at the alcohol content before we started drinking it. And I think it, it was, was more like, supposed to be like a, a little, like a sip, like a dessert. <laughs> and we were like, mm-hmm, cheers. <laughs> It was good. Um, so that was my favorite. Um, but after that, it was your wine. Your little cheap bottle of wine. Look, I'm telling you, that is my go-to. I actually really liked the raspberry one. I think about oh, that yeah. one a lot. That was good. That was good. Again, sweet wine. Sweet, sweet. That's our trend. Um, so if you want us to try something that's not quite as sweet, we are open to the idea. Oh, yeah. Just give us a suggestion and we'll drink it. And in the meantime, we're going to cheers. Cheers. With our Moscato. That was not a good clink. What happened? <laughs> oh, I might have a new favorite. I really like really? that. Oh, that's this is my type of wine for sure. It's a little bubbly. Um, it's a little on the bubbly side. So. But the one I brought was a sparkling red too. It so was. So sweet and sparkling where it's like little kid wine, honestly. <laughs> We're just drinking juice. No, it is sweet. I mean, I know I like it because oh, it's one that we I often really have in our like house. I really like this one. I'm going to have to write this down. Okay. Well, it will be in our links. Look, there we go. Chelsea's going to write it down. It's in our description. You <laughs> guys have check I ever the written anything down? <laughs> Each week I put what the name of the wine that we're drinking and the last few ones I've actually put links to um, the websites or places to find the wine so Chelsea can remember um, by checking that out. Like that's how I stay for my test too. I just go and watch our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they're helpful. Hey, they are. Okay, so let's talk about since we're finally on it. Yes. Chelsea's going to give a brief recap for anyone who doesn't know. There was a quadruple murder in November, last November, twenty twenty two. In Idaho, of four college students in off-campus housing. But yes. give us a quick recap of what happened, why this defendant is a defendant. Yes. And then we're going to go from there for the four topics. Absolutely. So I think anyone who is on, I've mentioned my TikTok addiction before, has seen this case. Um, it was in Moscow, Idaho. I keep wanting to say Indiana. It's not. It's Idaho. Yeah. But to Out me, I'm like, the West. they're all like the flyover states, right? It's kind of the same, give or take. <laughs> we apologize Don't be to offended. all of those states. It's just Chelsea. She can't help but talk. <laughs> yeah, that's the tr- <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, so like you said, it was this off-campus housing, but still pretty close. And it's right on the border here. Um, and these four, I say kids because they were... So young. The oldest one, it was... Um, there's four girls who live in the house. Three of them were killed in one of their boyfriends. Right. Um, and they were 20, 20, 20, and 21. Mm. Heartbreaking. So um, young. So young. So I say kids just because, like, that's my little sister's age. And mm. just unexplainable. No one really right. knows what happens. And it was very brutal. It was, um, they were all stabbed to death. So immediately, look, I think the internet is great for a lot of things. Active investigations is not one of them. I don't think... Yeah. 
people who want to play true crime detective and get on TikTok with their theories, it wasn't great, guys, because a lot of that information clouded what was actually happening, Yeah, made investigations very difficult. The police department talked about having to like field off thousands and thousands of these calls that had nothing to do with it. And that's part of the the subject we wanted to bring yeah. up today is let's start with the media coverage yes. is that's exactly where you're, you're headed yeah. is what was happening in the D's immediately following the murders. So immediately it's, at least from what I saw media coverage, it just spread like wildfire. There were Reddit threads. There were people on TikToks. There were tarot readers saying they were really, I hadn't that, seen that okay, part. Okay, that, you're more tapped in on that. That's actually what the subject... I watched the real news. Well, yes. Okay, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. I avoided this case for so long because I was truly so put off by what I was seeing on social media. But that's actually this, the subject of the civil case of someone who's suing for defamation was a tarot reader on TikTok, accused oh a professor at the university and made over 30 videos saying it was this professor with the her tarot, tarot reader. The tarot reader. I'm, I'm not laughing because it's not funny, but it's absurd. That is absurd. And she's being sued? Yes. And she made even as after... As she should. As she should. Even after receiving a cease and desist letter, she continued to make videos. About this professor? The professor who that doesn't... That poor guy. Who doesn't... It's a woman who doesn't oh, know her. Oh, poor woman. I'm yes. so sorry. No, no, no. And it's just... The woman is said she was scared for her family's safety. They had to put up security cameras because oh this God. is a small community and people are scared. So anyways, that and was one of the small. No, if she's accusing her of the murder without... And being in a any, love triangle, like truly the most absurd claims. That's a great defamation suit in all the wrong ways. Yeah. And we've been talking about defamation yes. suits recently. I don't know. I mean, there's a wave of them. There's clearly Johnny Depp last yes. year, but even... The Fox News cases, yep. both of them. So we talked about the one with Dr. Vile. Yes, um, with your dad. Yes, with my dad, Dr. Vile. So we talked about the first Fox News one. Yes. Now there's a second that's come out in New York. With the voting machines suing Fox, right? Right, for defamation. Yes. And the continuing theme is people in the news. Yep. And it doesn't have to be on CNN or Fox no. or anything. It's in the news. Is it a... An outlet for generating news and reports right. and information. Right. For distributing information. And this lady, apparently, from what you're saying, is a, giving information nationally known and received and available. I mean, TikTok's available internationally, right? And she is just using these tarot cards. And I'm not saying that, you know, like, I, I don't have a problem with tarot or anything, but let's maybe not accuse people of murder. Right. There's a difference between stating things as fact. Yes. And saying, I have an opinion. And that's exactly what all these defamation cases yes. are, is which people as individuals or as mm -hmm. part of organizations are stating things as fact. This yep. is true. This is how it happened. This is who did it. Yeah. Versus, you know, hey, I, I think this is weird. I think there's something fishy with it. There, there are different statements that you can make. Yeah. Other than asserting something is true that you either know is false. Right. Or it's this reckless disregard to its truth or falsity. And that's where we're getting multiple defamation suits yeah. before. And it's it's really picking up in the country where I can't remember the last one. I was going to say, now that I think about it with it being so common, like I'm pretty sure in torts, they were like, you're never going to see any of these. I've like, never had one. 
But they're popping up. I know. I've been practicing for 17 years, and a lot of my practice has been in civil law. Yeah. And I've never had one. Never. I feel like it would be kind of, personally, I would really love to have one of these cases. I think it would just be really fun. So <laughs> in, in illegal, yes, okay, intellectual, not that I want interesting case. Well, but let's face it. Lawyers, we're lawyers for a reason, right? right? Because we like what we do. And yeah. everybody who has a job, you should like what you do. Yeah. And a lot of attorneys don't, but a lot of other people don't either. I like what I do. I find it interesting. And if I didn't find it interesting, then that would be awfully sad. That's what I'm saying. Look, I know I won't have the experience, but after I'm past the bar, if somebody has one of these cases, come talk to me and I will be inexperienced. Look, I'm saying. we. I have 17 years. We're reading more and more and more. Um, you know, it takes a trial attorney. Yeah. And that's what we are. Look. Okay. So From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a defamation case, call us. Um, we would be happy to help. Yes. Um, but so, so tarot card reader, and that was just one of many, to be clear, that one to me just stuck out because of its true absurdity. And even, even after being contacted me like, Hey, quit it. They did not Absurd, absurd. But this seemed to be a theme that, like I said, there were these Reddit threads, people pretending that they were, you know, Olivia Benson on SVU to a point of just clouding the real investigation. However, the smoke had kind of cleared, and what it seems now that we know is that they had their eyes on the suspect pretty close to the beginning of the investigation. It didn't take them long to find to find him. I believe he was arrested January, beginning of January. I I think that's right. I know they had there were two other locations mm-hmm. between Washington State and Pennsylvania. Yes. So the suspect who's been arrested is Brian Koberger, who is a PhD student at Washington State in criminology. In criminology, now, this is very interesting to me, um, because you're like, hmm. He's also applied um, previously had applied to for an internship type position with like a local police department, and he wrote an essay for that. And in that, he was talking about teaching local or not local, but sort of um, rural police places. What is the word I'm looking for? Departments. Departments. <laughs> Places. Yeah, there's there's places. Where you know where the people go that have where the, they know, congregate <laughs> with badges and Dunkin guns. Donuts. <laughs> I'm sorry. Love it. Yes. Those places. <laughs> I'm teaching them about using um cloud-based sort of surveillance and how to get like ring cameras. I don't know mm-hmm. the terms for it. I'm butchering it, but sort of that electronic sort of data and investigation. Yeah. Um, it seemed he had some sort of expertise with like cloud software in particular is my understanding, um, which is just terrifying when you think about someone who has that deep of an understanding and then decides to commit a crime. Yeah. But people like that also, and this is my two cents, um, they always think they're the smartest person in the room and they rarely are. Right. So I'm hoping that he will just overplay his hand. Yeah, we're going to see. So it, it really... The investigation seems to be difficult because there isn't a strong link between Koberger and these victims. So, yes. So, at first, prior to everything being released, it seemed really strong from what I was seeing in the media, right? They were talking about, oh, they found DNA. Oh, um, the the surviving roommate saw him. Which, how terrifying. 
I mean, thank God somebody lived, yeah. but to be the one who survived. And as I understand it, he walked past her. That's what my understanding is too, is that the way the house is set up, and I remember these houses in college, is that, you know, it's a place where people congregate frequently, but it's also sort of on a hill. So I believe she was kind of in the basement floor, but from one side, that's like the first floor. Um, and the people who were killed were on the second and third floor. But that seems to be the account is that he walked past her. She's poking her head out right out the door. Hmm. Right. So how is he linked? So he, and I thought it was strong until we started looking at sort of the affidavit. Um, there is DNA, but it seems to be possibly like touch or transfer DNA. So not necessarily the strongest. I don't know a lot about this. Um, we haven't gotten to it in my classes yet, but I thought that would be strong, right? Like his DNA yeah. is there. It's strong. But at least one of the, the sort of like hot takes from defense attorneys I was seeing is that, well, how long has it had, had his DNA been on this item? Okay, but yes. You know a lot about why this, right? would his DNA be on an item in that house at all? Right. Okay, so how long it had, it had it been in there? Fine. Well, who else would have had it? Right. And how would it have gotten in their apartment? Did he sell it? I mean, there's no information mm. that he's selling or trading knives. It was like a sheath situation, right? Right, a sheath for a knife. And it's it appears from the, the reports that they were killed by some form of sharp object, yeah. presumably a knife or two, and right. that at least one sheath was found there. And the sheath has touched DNA or some yeah. type of DNA that they've recovered that they've traced through, I think, genetic backlinking? Yes. Yeah, so my understanding him. is that it was first traced to like a, a male relative of his. And then from there narrowed down. Um, I'm definitely not a science person. So, right. but that's my understanding. And this has been common. Like we have 23 and me, people are just voluntarily yeah. submitting their, their DNA. DNA away. And it's been solving a lot of, I mean, a lot of crimes, which is good. We're getting them, but also scary. I don't know. Just thinking how easy it is to link everybody. Yeah, it is. And people are giving it voluntarily. So I have thoughts on that, but that's fine. Whatever people want to do. I know. Like, okay, it's so bad because the curious part of me is like, I just want to know, like, <laughs> just take my DNA. Tell me like, you know, I mean, I can guess where I'm from, but like, <laughs> I'd love to know for real. But then like the libertarian part of me, like raised in the South is like, don't give the government your DNA. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and that's so, but it's interesting. So, okay, so yes. it's linked to a relative, but here's what's going to happen mm -hmm. naturally. As a former prosecutor and defense attorney, um, but even one that's prosecuted murders and used touch DNA. Okay. I actually used touch DNA in, honestly, not so much my murder cases really? as my rape cases and my gun cases. Um. So <laughs> your look is hilarious. Because I feel like, Sexual assault, rape, that makes sense. But gun cases? Yeah, so the gun cases, it was touch DNA as to who had touched the gun. Oh, well. And, well, but no, because it's not necessarily, um, it's hard material, so to speak, to get DNA, right? Yeah. This isn't something where like, it's usually, like fabric or. It, right, it's not fabric, it's not something like that. But the, the question was, could you, you can't necessarily get prints. And when I was working there, you either had, you either, had to test for prints or DNA because one 
one of them, each one of them, mm-hmm. would destroy evidence that the other would collect. Oh. So you had to decide. We as prosecutors had to decide when they collected a gun. Which one you thought was which more Which one likely? we thought was going to, to be more likely. And it was a hard decision. Oh, I would um, cry. I wouldn't just be so stressed. <laughs> well, what we ended up doing a lot of times, um, and it depended on the money, because here's the thing. In CSI, everybody has money for everything. And it right. looks like you don't need money to run all the tests that they do. But in an actual government location, they don't have as much money to test items. So right. we would have to submit applications to oh. test certain items. And for the guns, we discovered that it was more likely to get touch DNA mm-hmm. from the outside of the gun. Okay. I'm keeping it layman's terms. From the Please outside do, of the gun. <laughs> um, somewhere where the hand would be touching, holding, racking Oh, so like if you are like put okay exactly yes. that that was the most likely place to get DNA. So we would have the gun swab the outside of the gun swabbed for touch DNA. And like the trigger for and prints? the trick no no you can oh not necessarily the trigger for prints. We would use all of the outside, including the trigger, usually for touch DNA because there's transfer of oil from your yeah. hands from your fingers. Assuming someone didn't use gloves, that would transfer onto the gun. Right. We would test. The magazine and or the bullets if there were any remaining for fingerprints. Oh, interesting. Okay. I have a so we tried to have our cake and eat it too by testing each. And usually we got nothing from either, but there were those cases where we could link touch DNA to the gun. Now the guns, assuming they weren't used in a murder, they were yeah. just possession of firearm by felon or used in a robbery. Those were the ones where like this defendant, Coburger, yeah. they're like, well, I got to touch that gun anytime. Right. Okay, well, maybe, but in Koberger's case, with the knife sheath, with t- who's going to touch a knife sheath that ends up at a murder right. scene when he lives in Washington State? Right. So, and this is something I had to look up, is that he technically lives, this is all on the border, so it's very close. It's, I think, a, like a 10-mile radius. Fair enough. All of it, but still. So not as far as it seems. But, interesting, um, one small tangent. I have a question for you that you brought up and I can't let it go. When you're talking about you had to choose DNA or fingerprints. No, it's okay. How did that impact Brady violations? Like, did the defense get any say in how you tested it if it would destroy the other? Not usually. Okay, sorry. It was Um, my weird tangent question. It's not a tangent question because it's it's a fair question. And there would, sometimes we wouldn't get to choose. Right. Sometimes it's up to, you know, before we even get there, the, the, it's yeah. been done because the crime scene techs have done it. Okay. The worst case scenario for us as prosecutors was if they had already test fired the gun for ballistics, we were screwed. There was, yeah. we couldn't do either. All the evidence that would have been fingerprints that would have been DNA is, is, is gone. So. so we kept putting, you know, appeals into the departments of please don't test fire the gun first don't do anything to it please don't do ballistics first do that last do something last other than that Um, but there were sometimes like you just said to the defense they did this first this is outside of our hands this is normal forensic testing the crime scene tech the you know forensics department they choose the order yeah now, there were times that the defense could submit requests for retesting, alternative testing, yeah. additional testing, um, where they could gotcha. choose, but it, was, it wasn't really something the defense could request because 
whatever our test was, it's still forensic testing. Right. And if it exonerated the defendant and showed up as somebody else's DNA, well, that's good for the defense too. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But touch DNA, in my experience, okay, yes. was extremely valuable. Wasn't right. any less DNA than other types of DNA. It was still DNA that had transferred onto the object and was tested. We had, um, I had a rape case where we even tested handlebars on a bicycle and the seat of a bicycle because after the rape case, the defendant rode away on a bicycle and her DNA had combined with his and was now on the bike handles. So we did touch DNA on the bike handles. Right, and if they're like, I wasn't there, it's like, well, then how did your DNA mix? Exactly. How do you have both? How do you have both of your DNA on the on the bike handle? So in my experience, as much as the media is saying, oh, well, it's just touch DNA. Yeah. But it's still DNA. It's not just. It's touch DNA, which is being proved to be just as comparable as leaving your bodily fluids. And I think if it was, that was the only piece of evidence. Right. That would be a, a much different story than where we're at at this point. Um, I think the other piece of evidence that to me, I, I would view it as pretty convincing are cell phone records. Yeah. So as we know, these little devices track us everywhere we go. Yes, I they swear do. my phone knows everything about me because anytime the pop up, it's like, allow, allow. I just, <laughs> like, I just accept all cookies. Yes. Allow your location. Yes. We Tra- want to know. Track my activity in other apps, please. I'd like customize ads. Like I'm... <laughs> I'm just kidding, but like honestly. No, she's not. No, I'm not at all. <laughs> Path of least resistance, right? But that's who we are. I mean, it's the reality is like I've been on the internet since I was a child. Yeah. My like any preconceived notions that I have any internet privacy are long gone. And so now I'm just using it to my advantage. Like I don't think I'm ever gonna look. I was on MySpace. I wrote my little blogs. Embarrassing. <laughs> it's not embarrassing because that's the, like you know, 13. <laughs> grew up in the generation that had just the end of MySpace. Yes, it was. It was truly the end. Some people had Facebook. I think I, I posted my first Instagram my senior year of high school. Nice. Um, I'm so glad it was not around when I was in middle school, right? Like embarrassing. <laughs> but the cell phone records for Brian Koberger. Yeah. In between. So this happened in November. So between June... In November, he was pinging around that residence more than 12 times, um, which is like, but why? Because by all accounts, he was never invited there. Right. Um, So that to me is really creepy. And again, any piece of these, any piece of evidence on its own, I think would not be as convincing to me. But I'm like, okay, your DNA was there. Everyone's saying you weren't invited. Your phone is pinging there. Right. You've even, had no other connection with the house. Right. He's never been allowed in the house, nope. never visited the house to anyone's knowledge. So why would his DNA be on anything in the house, right. especially a sheath of a knife when a knife presumably was used in the killings? And even most disturbing to me is that they believe the killings happened around 4.30 in the morning. Ugh, right. And at 9.30 that morning, his phone was pinging there again as if he was coming back by, which is just beyond to me. Um, I think the other piece of evidence that's been mentioned a lot is this white 
oh, I don't know what it's called. Some four door. Elantra. Elantra. There we go. It's the Elantra. Um, Seems to match up with one that was spotted near the home. Um, But it doesn't seem that it can, so far, we don't have evidence that it's the exact car. Yeah, I don't think there was evidence of the actual license plate or any kind of registration. So there was a link to an Elantra. He has an Elantra. Um, there was video yeah. around that they were able to pick up, but I'll tell you, it's all in these search warrants yes. that are published. So that's the other thing we wanted to touch on is they have become public. The search warrants for the Idaho home, the Washington residence, and his residence, his parents, Pennsylvania residence, which is why he was in Pennsylvania. So there were three different search warrants Mm -hmm. performed and then of course the arrest warrant yes and each in a search warrant or an arrest warrant you have to have a statement of probable cause right someone has to put forward an affidavit they have to Mm -hmm. swear under oath that these are the facts as we know them Mm -hmm. and as a result of the facts they are able to conclude that there is probable cause to believe that a search of the residence will produce something right and in this case it was that we believe a search of the residence will produce items like the knife right weapons that were used clothing that had been worn the cell phone that had been pinging because i don't think that they had located that at least at the time of the washington one i'm pretty sure that that one when i was reading it it was a Mm -hmm. request for you know to find the phone There were requests to search any kind of electronics, any kind of technology for information as to whether certain searches had been made. And And they were working with like the cell phone providers too to get this data, which I think is really interesting. Um, I know there's been a couple cases that are with different cell phone and internet providers about like how and when they provide police information. Right. Um, I always like those kind of cases because I think it those kind of represent like walking the line between like what is the public interest in solving crimes versus what is the public interest in privacy. Yeah. Um, so I know AT&T worked with them on this one. Um, I do think one small fact. So they arrest him at his parents' Pennsylvania home, right? Yes. What was he doing when they arrested him, Virginia? I honestly don't know. You're going to have to okay. tell me. This man, as they are going in to arrest him, is wearing like medical like latex gloves, and separating out his personal trash from his family's trash and putting it in sealable bags. Now, why would somebody do this? It's really weird. It's really weird, but it makes me think of all the cases where technically, if you put your trash outside, the police can come and get in your trash can and take your DNA. So that's what It's abandoned. That's what I think he was attempting to prevent was them having access to his DNA, but it's like, my guy, they're arresting you. They're going to get your DNA. Well, the search warrants even included it. So the the search warrants included a request to obtain his DNA. And what they're going to do um, in this type of case, they have the touch DNA, they have the genetic test, the genetic link where they went backward, right? You were saying the familial link. But what they're going to do is they're going to have used the search warrant to collect his DNA. And do like a direct. And then they're going to use his direct DNA to compare it with the touch DNA. So that that way it's not a tangential link where they say, hey, this is how we found him. But this is the confirmation that it's him. Right. Which makes sense to me. And I think there is one last interesting legal maneuvering that's happened. Oh, so there was a hearing. Oh yeah, the this, preliminary hearing. 
Okay. And I had to be like, Virginia, is this normal? This doesn't seem normal <laughs> to me. Okay. Not. So he is being represented by a public defender, which look, they are the backbone of defense work. I don't know how public defenders yeah. do the jobs they do, but this is my question. So they, the defense, as in, in Idaho, they, the current, the yes, Idaho defense, his current mm-hmm. defense at this hearing said, we're cool if we just push this, uh, like preliminary probable cause hearing to June. Yeah. And it's March right now. And I think that one was even February. I think that was in the end of February. So I'm like, that usually it's the opposite, right? Like defense is like, let's get this going. Yeah. Why would you push it? It's an odd move. It's a really odd move. Um, so we talked in the law and scripted. Yeah. And I think it was part two of from arrest to trial, what happens in a mm-hmm. criminal case. And I'll put a link to that um, in both the podcast um, notes as well as the, the YouTube notes where what we talked about was exactly this. What is your maneuvering for a probable cause hearing? Yeah. Right? So it goes to if he's arrested under charges, not a grand jury indictment, under basic arrest charges, um, arrest warrants. Which is what's happened. Yeah, he's put into the lower court and he has to have a preliminary hearing, which just like the search warrants were for probable cause. Mm -hmm. This is a hearing, a mini trial that has to involve the prosecution putting on enough evidence to show that it's probable that the defendant committed the crimes with which he's charged, which mm-hmm. are four murders and a burglary. They don't need much. No, that's... They I mean, don't. This is not reasonable doubt. That's what happens in the trial. Mm-hmm. It's just probable cause. And we talked about it before. Usually, if mm-hmm. there is sufficient evidence, you would waive this type of hearing. Yes, and that's exactly right. I am... I am shocked. They didn't honestly. wave it, right? No, he didn't wave it. But that's what you I would expect, right? I would expect the same. I would my maneuvering would have been to say, let's waive this preliminary hearing, get it on up to circuit court. I'm not gonna waive my speedy trial for circuit yeah. court. You guys, good luck getting all the evidence that you need yes. for beyond a reasonable doubt within the however many months it is for for because the trial in Idaho. Now they have given the prosecution a gift, right? Because the reality yes. is, is that we're talking about four people who were brutally killed. And these are, like I said, kids. They're 20 and 21. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of data as far as electronic data to yes. be collected, sorted through his data, collected and sorted through. Now they have almost all the time in the world. do it. At a preliminary hearing level. And this isn't, I mean, he hasn't even gotten a trial. So he, through his attorney, mm-hmm. he has waived not the preliminary hearing. Speedy trial. But speedy trial issues for preliminary hearing. Which, and they've asked for a June hearing. So they have given the government an additional five months right. to prep its case, to do all of the, the forensic more I think testing. about it, just more doesn't make sense to me, right? Because the whole concept understand. is that speedy trial... That's a defendant's right, mm-hmm. that you have a right to a speedy trial, but it also sort of works on writing in the prosecution. You have yes. to get as much as evidence as you can get before this date that is right. fast. You have to have enough by that date. Yes. If I were the defense attorney, and I do, I'm not, I'm, I don't even work in Idaho, right. but I have been a defense attorney and I've been a prosecutor, and 
without knowing everything, the proper play in my mind would be wave preliminary here, fast as we hear, hearing, hold them to speedy trial, force them to beg the court for a continuance. Yeah. But even a continuance still counts against speedy trial right. unless I make it. I don't ask for any continuance. Good luck. Get all the evidence you can. I'm going to review it. I'm going to poke holes in it. Right. But you didn't get enough because you didn't have time. Right, because I mean, and especially in a case like this, they have to get the evidence, go through it themselves, get experts, get the experts to go through it. Because mm-hmm. all of the evidence that we have so far that we know of is circumstantial. Right. Right. So you need someone who is an expert in DNA to explain how the DNA got there. You need someone who's an expert in whatever you call people who know why cell phones ping where they do to explain that to somebody. And they are going to need time to review that. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of mind blowing to me that she thinks it's a fight she's going to win at a, because that's the only reason you would do right. it. If you think your client, they do not have probable cause, <laughs> cause, <laughs> probable cause to have, to arrest your client. Okay. Then you fight it at that hearing. Right. But right. if you think, if you look at it and you're like, Oh, they might not be able to prove it, but they definitely could arrest you on it. Why fight it? Save the fight for the trial. Yeah. But there, she's got to have something up her sleeve. Has to. Right. Because it's such an odd move. It. I will tell you, I have not seen in my practice of 17 years, I have not seen someone wait in a murder case. Right. Weave it that long. Yeah. Um, for a preliminary hearing. Weave trial rights, sure. Right. Um, once you get up to circuit court. But for a preliminary hearing, it's odd. Because in my mind, you get as much as you can from prelim- preliminary hearing or weave it and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I if have you a hold the preliminary hearing, fine. But hold it within the 14 days. Oh, I have a question. Yeah. Okay, this is a thought that just came to me. And totally shoot it down if it's wrong. Could she do that because maybe she believes that there is something that would would exclude a lot of this evidence and she wants time to like file motions about that? Yes, but that's not where you would file motions okay. to exclude because you're going to have to refine it for the trial. Oh, yeah. So even if you exclude okay. something there in my court, genius law student no, thought. No, but it is a good thought um, because you're absolutely right. Is it, you know, she's thinking, oh, all mm-hmm. of this is fruit of the poisonous tree or something like that. She's just like... It's not going to matter because they can't use, great, they have all of this, but they can't use half of it is what she, I don't know. And that's a great idea and it's absolutely correct, but she's going to have to fight the same thing in circuit court Mm -hmm. because the circuit court isn't bound by what a district court judge rules regarding evidence that's that's submitted. So yes, it's very possible that she could be working on those motions to suppress evidence, exclude evidence. Um, but those would be a fight for circuit court hmm. where you fight to exclude them from a jury trial yeah. so that the jury doesn't hear them. Interesting. But I mean, yes, it gives more time and sure, it can give more time to review the evidence, give more time to yeah. come up with that type of motion, but it's a weird place. It, yeah. I would sooner see it in circuit court pending trial. Right. Than in the lower court at a preliminary hearing for probable cause. Yeah. It's an odd place. Because, yeah, I'm like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, even if she got out all of it, but one piece of the evidence that we've talked about, it would still, it, I don't know, maybe it's not. I would think even if it was just the pings or if it was mm-hmm. just the DNA on its own, that seems like enough for probable cause. I, I think there's a strong enough case for probable cause. Um, they, 
let's put it this way. They had at least three search warrants, right? Yes. And those search warrants each have to have probable cause. A judge mm-hmm. has to believe, based on the affidavits and the written search warrant, that there's enough for probable cause for a search warrant yeah. and or an arrest warrant. At least three of these have already been done. And at least three different judges or magistrates have mm-hmm. already said there's enough probable cause for searches and arrests. How is that going to be different? I mean, I don't know what else in a case like this you would want. You have an eyewitness, you have DNA, you have cell data. Now, I do think, I, I feel so bad for the, the girl who's the eyewitness, who's the yeah. survivor. I do question how reliable her sort of eyewitness might be. But I think, again, nothing on its own, but all of it together. Right. All of it um, together. You know, even if she can't say, I know for sure it was him. Well, no, it was a man who was about his height, who had similar, like, that to me, even if it doesn't make or break the case on its own, is helpful. It absolutely is. And that's what you do as a prosecutor. Yeah. Is you put, oh, I didn't take enough breath on that. As a prosecutor, <laughs> you put it all together in a meaningful way. And yeah. that's where we get, I think, to our final topic for today is the jury. How do you get a fair jury? After all of this, I mean, we're in Maryland talking about an Idaho case that has yeah. made headlines nationwide. I mean, because truly, and I say this not in a funny way, but like, this is the nightmare, right? This is the scary movie. This is the bad dream of like four kids. I keep saying kids, but because they're so young, four college kids in the prime of their life doing really well. I mean, brutally killed. Like it is, like I said, the horror movie, the bad dream. And I think that's why it captivated, but it makes me think, how do you get a fair trial? Any, in, in any of these three States that he's traversed through, you type in his name to Google and there's everyone from his little, you know, ex-roommate's little brother's cousin talking about him. Like, this is just spreading. It is. It's, it is going to be hard to get a fair trial anywhere. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, even if they move the venue. Anywhere. Yeah. They could bring it up here and I'd be like, well, we're talking about it, right? Yeah, I think he's guilty. (laughs) I I mean, it would be, you question me as a juror, I would, I would hope that jurors would be able to express whether they have an opinion. And if I were a juror, I would disclose based on the evidence that I have seen in the news, I believe he's guilty. I think for me, I agree. And I wouldn't, I know like the whole idea is that the you know, state puts on a case, defense pokes holes in it. I would need the defense to give me a different person. Yeah. If he didn't do it, then who? You poking holes in the state's case, to me, I don't think would be enough in this case. You need to show me who else did it then. Well, that's like Alex Murdoch. Exactly. Is, okay, you poke holes, you poke holes. But in the end, the question is, well, who else would do this? Who else would it be? Right. And I think that's the same here is this guy has very minimal connections. But if it's not him, then who is it? Who would drop his knife sheath? Or right. knife sheath with his DNA at the murder scene. And what, they were stealing his phone 12 times to go sit by the house? Like, oh, that makes my skin right. crawl. How would somebody else do all of this? Is there any other information? And without it, is it a reasonable doubt? Or yeah. is it just, eh, it's possible. And a trial is beyond a reasonable doubt. And everybody gets this wrong. I have so many friends shadow of a doubt is, oh, it's beyond any doubt or beyond a shadow of a doubt. No, it's not beyond a shadow of a doubt. When I say a shadow of a doubt, I think of ghosts. Yeah. Okay. 
if you can exclude, you know, if it's not excluding the ghost, then yeah, it's not beyond a shadow of a doubt. But if you can exclude the idea that a ghost did it, then it has, you know, then it's It's reasonable. reasonable. Oh, I feel so bad. This, okay, this happened. Beyond a shadow of a doubt is like a common phrase in English. You hear people say it all the time. I saw this happen a couple of times in our trial ad classes. People get very nervous because you're giving these like... Our, I mean, I think our school did great. We had acting coaches. We had That's formal legal people. So you, you're really giving like an opening or closing statement. You're this close. And it's two people who are like years and years and years in this profession. I'm only laughing because I did similar things. I didn't say this one, but I did some <laughs> funky things during these two. Multiple people beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I watched our instructor's face and you, you know, they didn't mean it, right? They right. knew what the answer was, but they got so nervous that people would say it all the time <laughs> It's not funny, but I'd be like, oh, <laughs> yeah, cringe. Ow. Yeah, no, I say that it's not. So for whatever it's worth, everybody think of it. It's beyond a reasonable doubt, not a shadow of a yes. doubt. And they're going to have a hard time with venue. I don't know that a judge would grant a change of venue because I think there's a fair argument that anywhere you put it yeah. is going to have just as strong a reaction. I think we say that with every case, but I think it's becoming more and more true, right? Like As much national coverage as we have. Yeah. Because the world has changed. In, you know, 50 years ago, then maybe the coverage is, you know, included in that city, that right. county, and you can move to another county. But now it's everywhere. I, mean, I pull up TikTok. TikTok feed. Exactly. It's all I see all the time, all of these cases. And obviously it's because like I'm in law school. I also listen to true crime. We talk about stuff on here, but half of my feed are these small little cases from all over the country that I am now invested in. Oh yeah. And I'm I'm the only one. I'm invested in a California case right Right. now. What do I have to do with California? Nothing, (laughs) but I'm really invested in it Mm -hmm. and want to know. So that's, I think the change in law that we've had as to is there any real good that comes out of a motion to change venue anymore or is it almost a moot point now okay i do have one final question i have a question yes some fun little tangents today but i was thinking about this i guess it's a two-part question oh chelsea okay i'm gonna have to have a little bit more to drink perfect this This is not a direct i have lots of thoughts right Uh i have lots of questions okay then give us just a little more. Thank you. One, have you ever had a case where they sequestered the jury? I have not, no. Okay, so that was the first part of my question. My second part of the question would be, do you think that would help at all in a case like this? Yes. Really? I think it would go nuts, though. If someone tried to lock me in a hotel with these other randos, I would lose my mind. (laughs) (laughs) The PC word. (laughs) Um, I'm just... Which is why I would not select you as a jury Look, member. Despite my best efforts, they've never let me on a jury. For anyone who ever wants to put together a jury, a take fake a jury, picture. Please, please put me on a jury. Because <laughs> this is not a good juror. This is for how you, you get jury nullification, <laughs> which is my favorite topic in the world. Yeah. Now, I think in this type of case, maybe a change of venue wouldn't help, okay. but a sequestration of the jury would. Really? Because we have, in a sequestration, however you want to pronounce it, is when you sequester the jury, you usually also prohibit them from their phones. Yeah. Or at least shut down their apps. So at the very least, they're not getting 
opinions and commentary during the trial as to the testimony and how other people are interpreting the testimony. Right. Um, They are not going and talking to their family and friends and they're like, oh, you're on that jury. Let me tell you my thoughts. No, that at least shuts them out from other people's opinions where the idea is they can form and keep their own based on what they're hearing in the courtroom. Right, but they're not getting the body language experts giving their hot take on someone's testimony. Yeah. Also, I would would be so mad. I would be so mad. (laughs) Like, how is that not deprivation of liberty? (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's not. not I would. I would just have to run my mouth so they would give me an alternate. Like they would take me out, right? You would not be even selected. (laughs) No, I'm telling you. I have no poker face. That's a problem because when people are talking, you can see exactly what I think, and that's how I got kicked out. It was some (laughs) case. (laughs) It was some case where it was a personal injury case. Actually, it was a wrongful death. Um, But it was this company. This is a long time ago in Georgia. This like trucking company, or that's not right. They're the people who draw the lines on the road. Okay. They did it wrong. And then a trucking company oh, hit no. like a grandma. Like it was truly. Oh. And they were like in the, I got obviously knocked out by the people from these big companies because I was like, take them for all they're worth. Let's go. <laughs> and they were like, you know, do you believe that standard accidents or like mistakes happen and that company shouldn't be like some dumb question. I was looking at that girl, like be so for real right now. <laughs> No, I don't think not a good juror. your one job is to draw straight lines and you didn't do it right. No, it's not a standard mistake. Yeah. So, um, I'll work on my poker face and then I'll sneak onto a jury. We're going to have the, the runaway jury next with Chelsea. For those of you who might have seen that movie, I think it was back in the late 90s, early yeah, 2000s. John Cusack. It was, I think it was the 90s. Rachel Weisz. Yes. Love it. Oh my gosh, there's so many good actors. Gene Hackman was in it. Yeah. Um, really good actors. Really good movie. I love Highly recommend. 90s movies. It was actually fairly well done in terms of the legal portion. Really? And I don't say that for many movies. I haven't seen it in a long time, so I feel like I don't remember the legal portion. You should go back. Like, I think Legally Blonde is the top tier legal portion, obviously. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I recommend The Runaway Jury. You should see that. We My are going to try that. You know what? As funny as that is, it is one of the other movies that I would say is more accurate for legal proceedings. It's not accurate, but it, it is some- more accurate to real legal legal proceedings i love the qualification as the girl is the expert she's like chomping her gum talking about the cars well that's why she won the oscar i didn't know she won an oscar for that okay that makes a lot of sense she did she won tia no it's not her i can't remember her name but she won the oscar question (laughs) and it's true of how you how you certify an expert witness it's absolutely fascinating much better than most and on that we're going to wrap it up We will keep tabs on this trial. We've got a lot of other things going on. Last week, we did a lot of legal updates um, for some of the other cases that we've been following. Um, I think we're going to put this in the mix as one of the others now that it's actually in full legal proceedings and not just an investigation. I feel comfortable with us talking about it on the legal side of it. If you have any questions, comments, drop them in the comment section. Give us a like. Give us a recommendation for the wine. We love to engage with our viewers when we can. And yeah. 
I think that's it. I think that's it too. I'm Virginia Tarani. And I'm Chelsea Rogers. And we're with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Till you do.